0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Our foundation passage for our new series here on prayer is James, chapter 5, verse 13 and following. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. There's a lot of ways you can suffer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's That's the reason we do that. And the prayer of faith that is uttered by others will save the sick. That is, that word save there is heal and deliver and raise up the sick. And the Lord will rise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, understand that the Bible does not teach that all sickness is a result of sin, But if there is a link to sin, it will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses where you step over the line and violate God's righteousness to one another. Not to everybody, but to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Are you sick? Are you suffering today? One of the best things you can do is pray for somebody else who's sick and suffering. There is a law of sowing and reaping, and it doesn't just operate in the realm of finances. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us in his humanity. He was not some superhero of the faith who was somebody out there in another realm. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, last time we talked about having a spiritual checkup, and we asked ourselves this, are we growing? We talked about some signs of growth. We talked about dangers of not growing. I highly encourage you to go to the website and click on that message if you have not heard it, or see Pastor Wayne and get the automatic download to your cell phone. Many, many are taking advantage of it. If you're in neutral, you're going to roll backward. If you're not growing, you're retreating. We talked about some of the signs and manifestations of somebody who's spiritually growing. Number one, they're hungry. Number two, they're excited. There's an energy going on. Number three, they have a sense of awkwardness and frustration from time to time. You say, I've never heard that about growing. You've never seen a 13-year-old? Some of the signs and manifestations of spiritual growth is being awkward and feeling out of place and, and like you don't belong and Seasons of frustration. Pastor, if I was really walking by the Spirit, I'm going to have some frustration? Absolutely. Because the flesh pulls against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And you are not walking in the Spirit 24-7, and don't kid yourself that you are. Can we Yes. Do we? (laughs) No. Part of growing is facing our fears and dealing with our stuff. You're not growing if you don't come to grips with the fact that there's some stuff on the inside that are probably blind spots you need to deal with. Continuing to move. We have to feed. We have to eat, move, rest, and relate. You can't do this in a vacuum. We have to learn to hear the voice of God. Now, today, I want us to ask ourselves this question. What do my prayers look like? Prayer, more than anything else, reveals The condition of our inner man. Let's define what prayer is. Prayer is an intimate conversation between a loving Heavenly Father and his son or daughter. We said last week, and it's true, many of us have an orphan mentality. We're not in the house. We don't ever sit down at the table with Father. We're sending messages for somebody to adopt us. We're hoping somehow, some way, we could possibly get a father relationship, but we don't even know what it looks like. The only thing we have is predetermined notions and ideas of somebody doing the best they could or somebody not doing the best they could. And we grow up with all those images of what fatherhood is. It's time to go before God and say, Lord, destroy all my preconceived notions and ideas about what a real heavenly father is like. Show me your heart. Reveal to me what you're really all about. Prayer is not a nice little prepackaged, formal, non-offensive, polished word. Let me see, I got to pray, and I got to get this right now, or God won't listen to me. I got to get this right, or God won't listen to me. Does that stand the test of biblical truth? Hold your place there. Well, you don't need to hold your place there. I'm going to go several places. Go to, uh, let's go to Psalm chapter 9, Psalm 9. What did God say about David? He is a what? Man after what? Say it again. He is a man after my own heart. Didn't God say that? Yes or no? You ever read any of David's prayers? Psalm 9. I will praise you. O Lord, with my whole heart, I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. Look at verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Now flip a few pages over there to chapter 22. Chapter 22. This is David speaking. Same David. Verse 1. Are you there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, I'm not silent. Sounds like spiritual schizophrenia, doesn't it? Doesn't it? This is real prayer. You know why? It is an honest heart cry. Part of legitimate prayer. Forget all these these and and politically correct speech and get into crying out with your heart to your heavenly Father. He's a man after God's own heart. Go right a little farther to 77 of Psalms. Sorry, it's taken me a while. My markers have dropped out on me. Just bear with me. It's going to be all right. 77th Psalm. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. You ever reach out to the, to the Lord? You're in such trauma. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God. And I was troubled. I complained. And my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I can't even sleep. I'm so troubled I can't even speak. What do you call that? Heart cries. Pull the curtains back and be open and honest with your Father. He can handle it. He can handle it. What we need to do is to learn to cry out with our heart. But let me give you a word of warning here. It's okay to go there when you feel that way. It's okay to go there, it's just not okay to stay there. Everybody say it with me. It's okay to go there, but it's not okay to stay there. Let me show you an example of that. Let's go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. What a wonderful, powerful word this is. Let's look down there in verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Look at verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Verse 11, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Now he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you so disquieted and unruly within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Chapter 43. Look at the end. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know what this psalm's saying? I'm going to cry out with my heart. I'm going to tell you, Heavenly Father, I feel forsaken. But there is a big difference in feeling forsaken and being forsaken. The Word of God is very clear. God Almighty has Himself said, I will never forsake you nor leave you. So I can feel that way, and it's okay to tell God, this is the way I feel. But it's not okay to believe and confess that that is the way it is. Does everybody see the difference? It's okay to go there. It's not okay to stay there. Heart cries are part of legitimate prayer. I want you to go with me back toward the left to the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I want to to show you something here that is so profound, and it is obviously part of the DNA of this church. 2 Chronicles comes after Kings. The occasion here was King Solomon dedicating the magnificent temple. And you can read all about its magnificence in preceding verses. But King Solomon dedicating, humbling himself, praying, dedicating the temple. And I want you to see in verse 11, Then Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hmm, by the way, he was building himself one at the same time. How about that? And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Hmm, how about that? You know what I'm about to do right now? God, I ask you to give everybody under the influence of my spiritual leadership Give them absolute revelation of how precious your house is on the inside of them. And I also ask you at your own time, in your own way, to give them all that they've ever dreamed about their own house. I can do that. It's in the Word. Verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Okay, so understand now the house of the Lord is a place where, there's, where blood has been shed. Everybody get that? So this house that we're talking about now, there is blood related to the house we're about to investigate. Everybody get that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So when you go into that place of prayer, which we'll find out in a minute, you need to honor the blood that has been shed for you to have that place. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Healing of our land cannot take place by any other way except by the move of our mighty heavenly Father. Now, verse 15, I want you to get this. Now, God speaking, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place. For now, I have chosen and sanctified, set apart this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. In my house. Why was Jesus so chagrined that he took a whip? and ran people out of the temple. Remember what he quoted? It is written, my house shall be a house of entertainment. My house shall be a house of great administration and organization and perfect order. My house shall be a house of prayer. If prayer is not the heart of his house, we're violating his heart. My house shall be a house of prayer. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because I want to tell you the house of prayer's moved. You can't go down to the synagogue or the church building anymore and find the literal. House of prayer in sticks and stones. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says what? What do you not know that you're what? Everybody say it. You're what? Your body is the what? Of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Does everybody understand that in this New Testament age, this side of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, this side, there has been a tectonic shift in how God operates His kingdom. Now, the house of prayer has moved to where the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. You are the house of prayer. So, what does that mean? It means that the eyes and the heart of God are forever in the house of prayer, and that is your inner man. The eyes and the heartbeat of your Father is in that place where you are praying in your inner man, in your spirit being. So here's a question for you. If God is looking and longing with his heart in his eyes to know and hear what's going on in your house of prayer, what does it sound like in there? Boy, now that's sobering, isn't it? What does it sound like in there? Does it sound like, as we said last week, is it just a bunch of messages on an answering machine help me help me help me give me give me give me lord 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 do this do that and just hoping that if you'll leave him enough messages he'll get back to you when he can true prayer is intimate ongoing personal conversation between your heavenly father and you as his son or daughter Take the editor off. Express the heart cries. Tell him how deeply loving he is and how moved you are by his mercy and grace. Ask him for greater revelation of his heart of love and grace towards you. Ask him to help you see how he is and how you are in his eyes. Have a ongoing conversation with him. Sometimes it'll sound like this. You're going to see and hear things constantly that bother you. Sometimes that heart cry is no more than simply an expression. Jesus. Father. That's a legitimate prayer. Do you not think that the honest communication between a child and his father. Are there no heart cries there? There are plenty of them. God intended and initiated prayer that it would not only be essential, but he would use it to affect change. I want you to turn with me to a powerful, powerful passage in 2 Corinthians, please, in your New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The, some of you are really going to relate to this journey, and I am going to tell something that happened to me personally that many of you know about, many of you don't, to illustrate this deal. Prayer is intimate conversation between a son or daughter and his heavenly father, but it's also designed by God as a partnership. Do you know that when you pray, you're entering into a partnership with God? God set that up. It's a vehicle he's chosen. There are certain things that he will only accomplish through the vehicle of prayer. How'd you get here today? How many of you walked or hitchhiked? How many of you came in a vehicle? Do you know there's some things, there are places God wants to take you, you can't get there any other way except through the vehicle of prayer. It's the only way you're going to get there. And all of us can do it. It's not for a spiritual elite. Prayer has the capacity to change not just the prayer, it'll always change the prayer. But it can change as people, world leadership, national circumstances, crises, health, lack, need for wisdom, protection, all of those things I just named, they're examples of in the scriptures. But it also affects our personal circumstances and it provides a partnering vehicle for supernatural deliverance. I wanna I wanna show you this. Second Corinthians chapter one, are you there? Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all what? Comfort, encouragement, well-being, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now, the word tribulation there is thlipsis in the Greek. It has to do with incredible amounts of pressure, troubling. He comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to say, Praise God, Yuhu, all done. Is that what it says? Verse 4. He comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You ever notice when you're really troubled that one of the ways you get the most comfort is talking to somebody who's been through what you're going through and come out on the other side. You ever notice that? Whatever you're going through right now that seems so painful, whatever you're going through right now that seems like is never going to an end, there is a holy purpose in that, and that is not only that you receive comfort and encouragement, that sooner or later you will be able to comfort those who are going through the same stuff. God's idea, not mine. I'm just reading the scriptures to you. That we may be able to comfort those who are suffering. And I want you to skip down with me, please, to verse 8. For I don't want you to know, Paul writing here to the Corinthian believers, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble. That... Unbelievable pain, weight, pressure, difficulty, which came to us in Asia. Now look at, look, at, look at this now. Verse 8. Paul is not a complainer, but I want you to go to school on this. We, Paul and his inner circle of compatriots there, on their missionary journeys, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. What in the world is the apostle saying? The apostle Paul, the man whom God would save dramatically, the man whom God would use to write 13 books of the New Testament, went through a season of such trouble and heartache and troubling. He got into such a place of despair. You know what that is, don't you? To despair means that you utterly give up the hope of anything ever changing or being different. That might be in your health. It might be in your mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, physical, relational, whatever it may be. All of us have come to this point to where we can identify with the apostle who says, I came to a place in my life where I was so burdened I despair. I didn't want to live anymore. I despaired of life. There are people in Christian circles today who would say, "Well, if you ever get to a place to where you are in that much despair, something's wrong with you. You're not a real Christian." Baloney and hogwash. The apostle Paul said, I despaired of life. I didn't want to go on anymore. And if you have never been there, you don't know what it feels like. Don't judge those who've been there. Amen? I despaired of life. I was so burdened. Verse nine, yes, we, me and my compatriots, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We were done. We're done. That we should not. Here's the reason that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Have you ever come to that point to where it's so troubling, it's so despairing that you have actually said to God, it'd sure be better if I wasn't here anymore. I and everybody else would be better off if I wasn't here anymore. The man that wrote 13 books of the New Testament was in that place. Despaired of life. But what was going on, he says, is we, we were ready, we, we just had come to that place to where we said, God... We're on our way out of here, and if you don't intervene and raise us up out of this place, we're done. We're gone. We're our exit is sure. But I want you to look at verse 10. We put ourselves in the hands of God who raises the dead. Can I ask you something? If you're in that place of despair right now, would you come to that point to where you get intimate with your Father and say, God, I can't fix this. I don't know if I can even go on. I am in that place of total helpless. I am absolutely dependent on you. And I'm asking you that by the power with which you raised Jesus from the dead, please raise me up. I can't go on any farther like this. That's a legitimate prayer. That's not inferior. But I want you to notice something here. We've been talking about how God uses partnership in prayer. We would put our trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. Past tense, does deliver us. Right now he's still delivering us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. God, I was in that place, and God delivered me. He's still delivering me, and he's going to keep on delivering me. Now watch this, verse 11. You also, you Corinthian believers, you also helping together, how? In prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many on our behalf, For the gift granted to us through the... That is, when people see what the Father God has done, raising us up and out of this, He will receive glory. Don't stop in the middle of that suffering. There is going to be glory given to God at some point. But notice... That God Almighty who raises the dead, verse 11 tells us that he used these Corinthian believers to help that process in prayer. Why would God Almighty, who all he had to do was just say the word and go poof and it was done. Why would he choose to operate that way? I don't know and you don't either. But can I tell you something? There's something true about Holy Scripture. Without God, you can't. Without you, he won't. It's a partnership. My Lord. Turn over to Philippians. Go to the right and get to Philippians chapter one, please. I don't apologize for any of this. I don't ask you to come on Sunday night or Wednesday night, or I don't have night meetings up here. Now you just bear with me with the Word of God here. Amen. Philippians one. Paul writing to the Philippian church. Can I tell you something? He wrote to the Philippian church several years after he wrote to the Corinthian church. You know what that means? He's still around. You know what it also means? He was still productive in bearing fruit. He's writing scripture under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now look here. For I know that this, he's talking about being in prison in Rome. I know this. This will turn out for my deliverance through, my. I'm going to be delivered through what? Your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not a loss, it's not a defeat. Dying for the believer is an exit into wholeness and life beyond measure. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. In other words, if I stay here, I'm going to bear fruit. Yet, what I shall choose, I cannot tell because I am hard-pressed. I'm having an internal battle between being with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, look at verse 24. To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, you can almost hear him sighing. (sighs) I know I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of the faith. In July of 2004, less than a year after Bryant had passed, I went for a checkup at a cardiologist. He said, well, you know, There was a little blip here, but I don't think there's anything to it. Let's take a further test. And so with a further test, Dina was waiting on the report and I was still uh, groggy and he came came out and this is what he said. Three coronary arteries. How many of you know that's pretty important? Two of those three are 100% blocked. And one is 95% blocked. That's what he told you, right? That's facts. I'll be honest with you, when I heard that, I was so weary after the 18-year journey with Bryant's life and sickness and all the emotional trauma of his passing, and I begin to say to the Lord, I sure would love to come home. I really would desire to go home. What did we just read? For departing to be with Christ is far better. And you know, you can get to that point to where you know that's true. And I knew it was true. So I begin to ask the Lord to come home. When the news got out, many of you in this room began to hear that I was in a critical place in my journey and that my life was tenuous at best. Some of you came to my home that night. when the surgery was done 48 hours later there was a saturation of people some of you in the hospital waiting room interceding crying out there were others all across many states who were asking the father don't let your servant come home yet So, it's pretty much history. Thirteen years later, I am still serving and bearing fruit. This, I may have more energy, I got a lot more energy now than I did then. How about that? But can I tell you something? Here's my point. A concerted group of people went to prayer and interceded for my deliverance. You participated in, look, this is up close and personal for me. You know what I'm trying to tell you? God Almighty is assigning you, assigning you to get in partnership with Him on behalf of other people that He's going to bring into your life. Can I tell you something? When you get together at your office, when you get together in the church, when you call somebody or text somebody and you tell them, I am praying for you, do you know something? You are in a holy partnership with God Almighty. He sees and hears that. It's a partnership. So God is calling us to that partnership. Here's what I want you to do today. All throughout scripture, we see where the prayers of others can make a holy and mighty difference in the life and circumstances of other people. But I want you to begin to ask the Lord where he wants you to partner, and what needs he wants to use you to help meet. Can I tell you something? It's life and death sometimes. It's life and death sometimes. So today, if you need the partnership of others, like I have and like I still do on many occasions, to come around and assist you in prayer, let me tell you, there are people in this room who know and love and they are called out and assigned to pray. So I want you during this song to just stand right where you are. Somebody will slip alongside you. I guarantee you somebody will do The Holy Spirit will do that. But I want you to stand where you are to receive prayer and I want you to go to somebody if the Lord asks you to partner with them. This is a holy house of prayer and it will forever be that. As long as I have anything to do with the leadership of this church, it will be a house of prayer.